everyone, I'm your host Roy George and welcome to Triple Threats and Beyond. I'm so excited to have uh, this guest on the show. Um, I There's such a long introduction that I could give. She is a social media marketing person, a producer, a writer, an actress, an artist, to literally do everything. Um, and right before we went on air, I learned how to pronounce her last name, and there are two different ways to do it. So we're going to start with that. But I'm so excited to introduce my friend, and guest on the show today, Carly Panza, but I'm going to have you tell everybody how to pronounce your last name and the story behind it, because I think it's so cool. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. (laughs) Um, So my father is Croatian. Uh, He's a Croatian-American, so he actually uh, immigrated to this country when he was 22 years old, didn't speak any English. Um, His last name... um, the P-A-N-Z-A is actually an Italian last name, and Italians brought it over to Croatia, and then, you know, Croatians threw a D in there and then put this little accent over the Z, which is called a Karen, and when the D-Z is together in the Croatian language, it's pronounced Panja. So I grew up with um, all my friends calling me Panza or Miss Panza, unless, you know, they're a telemarketer, then they would butcher it all, all sorts of ways. But uh, I found that out, and um, it's, so if I was in Croatia, that's what they'd say. But I don't mind when people say Panza, but I do think it's pretty cool to tell people about the origin of my last name, because I love, love my father, and I'm very proud of my heritage. So that's so awesome. Well, welcome to the show, because I, I'm excited to talk to you, because I've had... Um, your colleague, your friend, your co-writer, I don't even know what, like, how to introduce the two of you together, but, um, uh, Ms. Bernardi. We, we came up with a really, well, we actually didn't come up with it, but let me tell you really something really funny. We were at a, a mixer last night together, and somebody said, well, they're just my biased bestie, and we laughed so hard, and I'm like, that's kind of what we are. Oh, I like that. We're our bi- we're, that's what, uh, biased bestie. <laughs> And so what does a biased bestie do? What does a biased bestie do? Well, I guess we're, uh, we just heard the name. I guess we're still discovering that. I mean, I think when you're a biased bestie to someone, uh, you obviously have a biased point of view that that person is extraordinary and amazing no matter what. And I guess that's what a best friend is. It's no, no matter what Elena does, I have it that, you know, she is so extraordinarily talented and such an awesome person. And she has it the same way for me, but I also have it that it's not completely biased. I mean, some of it I think is the truth, but maybe I'm just being arrogant. That's funny. (laughs) So what do you guys do together? We'll start with that. And then we're going to venture off into your personal career because you have quite the credits that I want to talk about as well. Yeah, perfect. Um, and can you hear me okay, Roy? You're cutting out a little bit. I sure can. My internet is being ridiculous, and one of these days I'll make enough money to have a real studio in my life. 
Okay. Okay. I just wanted to check that you could hear me. Um, so, uh, your question was what, uh, what do we do together or how do we uh, work together kind of thing? Yeah. How did you, what's your partnership? What would you title that? And then we'll talk individual career as well. Yeah. So, you know, we originally, we've been friends for several years now and we, you know, we knew that each other's, each other were artists and, um, she came, she told me about the, her her idea for Swipe the Musical at the beginning of last year. And I thought it was extraordinary. And uh, I remember I remember having the thought of I should direct it. And because uh, it would, I, I had directed one person, specifically one women shows before. And I also had the thought of, you know, if, if she, because she was writing the songs for it, if she needed someone to uh, write the book for it or write the script, then that would be a good person for me. But you know, at the time, um, she had someone else, uh, she had a different uh, male writer contracted out to do that. And it's kind of funny. I feel like it was destiny because I remember thinking to myself, like, why do you have a male writer? I didn't say this to her at the time. We've talked about it since. I said, why do you have a male writer writing this one person show for you? And it's from a female perspective and it's so personal. Like it should be you writing it or it should be a woman. That's what I remember thinking. And you know, things ended up not working out with that writer, which it's kind of perfect that that happened that way because, you know, one of the things we dealt with was, you know, when we originally got the script back, it, it wasn't it wasn't from the female perspective. And there were some things that we actually thought were kind of offensive. And it was very clear that it was written by a man. There's mm-hmm. something wrong with that. But it just wasn't the story that we were committed to telling. And because eventually she asked, she asked me to direct it. And then when that happened, we ended up letting him go from the project. And uh, we, me and her, you know, co-wrote the book in probably a couple of days, you know, because we were opening and I think it was like three weeks from that point. And, um, you know, I have a lot of experience in uh, storytelling just from my training in college and being a writer ever since I was a little girl. And Mm -hmm. so I, I laid out the, arc of kind of how a story goes and I said okay I think this song should go here 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 and we mapped it all out and then I sat there with my laptop and we you know banged out all the different dialogue and uh characters that we're going to fit into and weave the songs together for swipe and that was really the beginning of our partnership in terms of a creative partnership and Mm -hmm. during that same time I uh, launched her theater company and I actually put on the first production of uh, for our first season of Sunday on the Rocks, which is a Teresa Rebeck play. And then our second production, um, you know, she Elena was also has another theater company, and she was thinking about releasing it under that theater company, but it just didn't fit with her brand. And she asked me to release it under her theater company, and then I did. And the rest is kind of history. We have many other projects that have come up since then, but that was that was really the beginning for us going through that journey together. Right. That's fascinating. So you, I would like to read your, um, when I do interviews and have my research and whatever, I have multiple screens up. If you can only see what my desk looks like right now. So I have your uh, homepage to your website and I just want to read it. So everybody understands how epic and incredible you are. Um, so if you don't mind and I'll let everybody get the website address later, but, um, I'm a bald, 
deep-feeling, vegan-ish, hippie artist, a sassy, witty, dramedy writer, director, producer, and actress, a renaissance woman who is committed to telling compelling stories that touch, move, and inspire others. My passion is creating art that raises social consciousness and causes transformation in the world, which in those few sentences say so many things about your character, so many things about you, and so many things about 2020 that we really should be doing more of. And so... How did you become, let's say, the force of nature that you are? How did that start? (laughs) You're making me blush. You can't (laughs) see, but you're making me blush. I'm like, when people ask me about me, sometimes I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm like, stop, I'm so awkward. Um, (laughs) um, So, I mean, I think that's a really big question, right? Like, I don't know if we have five hours to be here. How did you become who you came to be? I know, right? right? I, but I def, I definitely can speak to um, certain poignant events in my life that I think have had me become the woman that I am today. And, um, you know, I, I was raised by uh, two parents that were, you know, really encouraging of me as an artist. Um, you know, there were times where, you know, as a child, I didn't feel supported. I think that's very natural for a child to feel that way. Um, cause we're very sensitive as children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think probably though, one of, when I was ever since I was a little girl, I remember I had this teacher and his name was Mr. Kilroy. He was my fourth grade teacher. And, um, he was older. I'm sure, I'm sure by this point, you know, he's passed away cause I didn't stay in touch with him. And he was just so amazing. He used to, he would either give us a prompt where he would start the story and we had to finish it or he would end the story and we had to write the beginning of it and, and basically create how it got there. And I just remember him being really, really encouraging of me and telling me that I was really great and that I should always keep writing and and you know I would I would you know he would usually only put a few lines like it was on one worksheet whatever that prompt was Mm -hmm. and I remember I would just write pages upon pages sometimes like 10 or 15 pages like filled up that I would staple to it because it was never enough to it was never enough for the full extent of what my imagination wanted to dive into. Right. And I still have some of those, those stories. And I definitely know though, from a really young age, and he was one of those really pivotal people in my life. And, you know, which one of the reasons I think I'm so passionate about uh, education for children and arts and why I've worked with so many children and worked in education in some way or another for probably the past 10 years, because I just see how important it is to when, when children have role models and when children are developed in a certain way, it really lays the foundation for them to grow up to become almost who I feel like they're destined to be. And, you know, so it was really lucky that I had him in my life and I had, you know, people like my mom and my dad that, you know, really did encourage me. Um, I definitely didn't, I wouldn't, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I definitely wouldn't say that I had like all of the opportunities in the world. Sometimes I talk to people about their childhood and they're like, I had voice lessons and dance lessons and guitar lessons and this lessons. And like, they had like an extracurricular thing on like every other day. I definitely didn't have that. Um, so I didn't come from a family that had a lot of money, but like we had a, 
there was a there was an abundance of support and love around things that was clear that I was passionate about, which really made a difference, I think. And you know, I just remember being a kid and I would I I had journals upon journals. I still have a lot of journals. I guess I've been a journal addict ever since I was really little, but I would fill up journals with stories that I would write. And sometimes it would be one story and then I would write page numbers on them. And then I would write um, uh, that it was copyrighted and I'd write a table of contents and what the publisher was. And usually it was something like some sort of publisher name that I made up that related to me. And then when I would meet people, I would tell them that I was a published author because I had it that because I put they were published. Wow. that they were that I I would meet people when I was like nine and I would tell them oh yeah I've written three books <laughs> like in all seriousness <laughs> but it's like this is so funny that's what speaks to for a kid it's like it's real because you say it's real and that was so that was something that's really fun I still have I have some of those but I just remember you know uh journaling was something that was um just really nurturing for me as a child I would you know I not that I did I played lots of sports too so I was really involved with other things but I just remember a lot of like kind of quiet me time where I would just journal and like kind of get lost in these worlds in my imagination absolutely and yeah it's really it is really cool but it's it's like funny because um that was that it was something that was that I really loved doing like a lot of times you know a lot of, I don't, I don't know, but I'm just, just, just based off my experience. I don't know how many kids like to spend hours by themselves, you know, scribbling in like a journal and things like that. And, right. But that's something that I, that I really love doing. And that, that I think was the beginning of, um, kind of my aspirations and my love of being an artist. And it's funny, like even before I, I, I wrote, I remember when people asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up. Uh, when I grew up, the first thing that I said was, I, oh, I'm going to be an inventor. Oh. And I actually had it that, like, inventors was just, like, you, like, applied for a job to be an inventor. <laughs> just Like, I had the same thing about being, like, a writer. Like, like to write a novel, like, you just applied, and they're like, oh, yes, you're a novelist. And then you were, like, allowed to write a book. So it's just funny that, <laughs> because I used to make these, really crazy contraptions out of styrofoam and boxes and those popcorn kernels whenever my mom would get something where she'd have boxes left over I used to like get markers and stickers and tape and create these really really weird things and I don't even remember what for but I liked creating things and I just think it's funny that the first thing I ever said I wanted to be is an inventor and if you really look at it when it comes to being any kind of artist isn't that at the core of what we are is we're inventors. We literally make things up from our own imagination. I wouldn't even say our own imagination. Like I really believe that, you know, art is something that's really spiritual and it's like, like sometimes I get ideas and thoughts that feel like they're from the ether. They're not even my own. They're just being downloaded into me. Like I'm the mere humble channel that's just here on this planet that, happened to hear that idea and now I'm going to go put it down on the page. That's so, so incredible. Anyway, I think I got a little bit off topic. No, no, no. Remember? <laughs> it's ex- no, it's exactly. See, this is what I love about the show is the questions that I sought out to ask over the years have really just been questions that get people talking because that's really what this show is all about. That 
I don't want to have to ask a bajillion questions to get you to tell me things that are so passionate about you. So if there's one question that gets you to open up and tell me everything, I have done my job as a host, I feel like. So that was a perfect answer. A perfect answer. Um, (laughs) As long as I'm validated that I did a good job, that it was a good answer. It was literally (laughs) perfect. And what's funny is that I can totally see how you and Alina work together because you guys have the same... you have the same speech pattern. Like, it's very interesting. I don't know if you've ever been told that before. But you guys have very similar speech no. patterns. Well, that actually... I, I actually have never been told that before. But what's funny is that actually makes a lot of sense. Because did Elena tell you where her and I met? No. Yeah, that's so funny. So I actually... And this is another thing that... It's, it's funny how it just naturally kind of comes up. And as far as you said, how did I become the person that I am today? This is this is definitely something that was a huge, one of those monumental type events in my life that really was like my life was going one way and now it was going another and something that really contributed to my development as a person. So I, you saw that? Sorry, I had an echo and I got rid of it very quickly. I apologize. No, okay. No, I just wanted to make sure I was still with you. Um, So yeah, I met Elena. I um, uh, did something called the Landmark Forum, which is a a personal and professional uh, like growth training program. And I did that in September 2012. And, you know, it was one of those things that literally I can look at my life before I did that and then after I did that. And the difference is like I could talk to you for hours about it. And my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, shortly after uh, participated in the program and uh, he, and who was in his forum was Elena. And what's crazy is I, I know. And I, I worked for the company for three years. Actually I led and um, would interview and put people into our premier leadership training program. So the people who led all of the programs and seminars for the company was kind of the cream of the crop. And uh, I put Elena into that program. It's a, it was a seven month long training program and uh, kind of had a reputation for being something that would like annihilate your identity, so to speak by the end of it. And uh, that's how, that's where me and her got connected. And so she, and then later on, she um, actually coached the program. So she was one of my coaches. So oh, it's wow. funny, I, you know, I worked there for, I know. So I worked there for three years and I, I led programs there for four years. So I have experience in, in leading transformational uh, developmental programs. And um, so a lot of, it's funny, a lot of my, when I talk to people was really, really influenced by my training at that um at that company and through those programs and Elena did some of those programs as well. That's where we first met. So maybe that's why we sound similar and also we hang out a lot. Maybe that's why as well. Like, who knows? That's so cool. I mean, and even your like vocal timbres are very similar. (laughs) Like it's outrageous. So, (laughs) You hang out with someone long enough, you start to become them. (laughs) That is so true. So true. Oh my gosh. So you, um, you're a creator. You, where do you draw your inspirations from? I mean, again, like so many things. I think my, 
I think my biggest inspiration, uh, I mean, there's the standard, like I love, I'm an artist, but I, I'm such an art consumer. I love and appreciate the theater and film and music. And I'm always looking for new genres and things that push the limits of what's possible with those things and go beyond things that we've normally seen before. So I'm, I love going to the movies. And one of the, my favorite things is to go to the movies by myself. And um, I love going to live, you know, concerts. And I, I think when, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Julia Cameron. Do you know who Julia Cameron is at all? I don't think so. So Julia Cameron I'm just like, it's perfect. That Your question of how you got to be the way you are, like all of these, it's all these things that are like the monumental things are coming up as I just naturally talk to you. So Julia Cameron wrote this book called The Artist's Way um, in the 1980s. And when it came out, it shortly, it's a you know, huge international bestseller, uh, shortly after became known as almost like the artist Bible. And, you know, the, the book is broken down into 12 chapters and there's exercises per every chapter. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of it is about recovering and discovering the creative self. So whether you're someone who, you know, has it that you aren't really creative or that you're not a creative person, and it's about you kind of a reawakening and dissolving the barriers of all the stories that you have around that. Right. Or if you do consider yourself a creative person, uh, what does that look like to keep nurturing that and keep living a creative life? It's literally one of the most transformational books you will ever ever read as an artist I highly highly recommend it to anyone to yourself and to anyone that's listening and it's one of the she has these two practices that she encourages that you're supposed to do as you do the course and it's funny you know I I've I've done the course back to back for about a year and a half now I'm doing it again right now with my mom and my sister and when I say do the course what I mean is you can read the book by yourself and do it by yourself or you can like organize some sort of structure to do it with somebody else. And so we're reading the book together and then we have a weekly call where we come together and then share what's opening up for us and like about the exercises and such. So one of the the two things that she highly recommends that people do uh, week to week is are these things called morning pages and these things called artist dates. So morning pages are basically three pages stream of consciousness writing that you do first thing in the morning when you wake up. And the way that I like to think of them is like, it's like a brain drain. Like some of them Mm -hmm. are like total, just whiny. I'm tired. I don't want to get out of bed. I got to pee. Oh, today's like the, and it's like, because it's early and you're just doing it quickly and not really thinking about it, you get insights out of the things that you write that sometimes are really profound and sometimes art comes out of it. And sometimes it really just is almost this meditative process where you do it to get all that stuff out of your brain because that's what stands in between you and your art. And wow. so that's one of the things. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, like sometimes even she talks about in the book, you know, if you have a question, asking the question like in your journal and then listening for the answer when you wake up in the morning for your morning pages. And I've had that before. Like I had it where I wrote down a question and then I woke up at no joke 4 a.m. with the answer and it's was kind of annoying that it was 4 a.m. But like that doesn't always happen. It's not like you'll start waking up at 4 a.m. You start. I mean, I do it anyway, so it's okay. Um, you're like, you're like, I'll do them as long as I don't have to wake up at 4 a.m. Um, 
But the other thing that she recommends that people do are these things called artiscapes. Now, artiscapes are what she calls, you know, filling the well. As an artist, you exert energy and your creativity and things that you're creating. And then sometimes if you do that too much without replenishing your well, it's almost like things have dried up or you've gone barren, if that makes any sense. Like you don't have any more to give. It's like you're squeezing, trying to squeeze blood from a stone. And so that is really the huge place that I get a lot of my inspiration. And that's actually, you know, what I told you when I said I was planning on going somewhere after this. Um, I'm taking myself to a live jazz club here in Los Angeles. Yes, you are. The whole thing about the, What'd you say? I said, yes, you are. That sounds amazing. Yes, I am. And um, it's what's really cool is she, the whole point of the artist states is you go somewhere by yourself. Like you take you and your artist somewhere by yourself, somewhere that is artistically nurturing for yourself. And it could be something that you think is really silly or stupid, like going to the 99 cent store with like 10 bucks and just like letting yourself go wild. But the whole point is, to replenish that well and to it's like if the morning page is, is about like what you're getting out like the exhale right then the artist states are what what's coming in like the inhale and i just found that when i when i go in an artist date or if i'm somewhere inside the context of being in an artist date I pay attention and i'm present in a different way than when i'm normally going through life and i I see things and I see interactions and I, and I watch people and that's usually where I get a lot of inspiration. I'll, I'll like catch thoughts or like melodies or things that just come to me in passing, going out and doing those things in the world. And it could be something really simple, like me taking a walk in the park and all of a sudden I'm, I just, I feel rejuvenated. So that's a very roundabout way of answering your question about, where do I get inspiration from? <laughs> That's so awesome, though. So at what point did you, or is this a thing, that you performed and then realized, you know what, I need to create specific work? I need to create specific work. Can you clarify what you yeah, mean by that? In terms of, you, you've created some works that are so interesting in terms of, like, for women, by women, things like that. Was was there ever a time that you, uh, that you were performing and you just got that light bulb moment of like, you know what, there's not enough work for X, Y, Z, me as a woman, me as this type of a person. I think it's time that I start exploring Mm -hmm. creating. Did that, how did that happen for you? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think. I don't know if there was like a specific moment. I think that there were, there were many moments throughout my life where, you know, I realized that I wanted to also be an actor or I realized that I, you know, I'd always, I'd wanted to start a theater company for a really long time. And there, I, it's like, I literally got a thought and a download that it should be called her theater company. And, you know, I've always been an advocate for, you know, women and women's rights. And, you know, I think it's, I I used to, you know, volunteer with a couple different organizations here in LA uh, that specifically nurture, you know, young girls through creative writing. And I think 
it, it just kind of all came to a head. And I'd always wanted to start a theater company. I'd worked for the theater companies here in Los Angeles. And, you know, I'd worked with some really great people. But my experience of a lot of the companies was that they were really, really clicky. And, you know, mm. not getting the opportunity to play certain roles and really challenge myself and knowing that I had the ability and the talent to be able to do so. So, and seeing that a lot of the people who were in the theater companies literally were a bunch of friends that got together and said, we're going to make a company and then made it up. And then all of a sudden they're a company and they're legitimate. Like that's really, that's, there's really nothing more to it than that. Like right. people think it's like more like that you have to be, I don't know, like be given a medal or deemed allowed to be able to go do something like that. Right. But, and, and I was like, well, what am I do? Like, what am I waiting for? I know so many talented people, so many talented actors and uh, people that I really want to work with. And one of my favorite things about college specifically and all the different training that I did there in, in different countries when it came to my, my creativity is I love the, the process of working on your craft. Right. And I think that I think it's lost once we graduate sometimes or once we become adults, you know, it's, I think that it, it gets lost because it becomes about the product. Mm -hmm. It becomes about what's the end result and is this going to sell versus, well, who gives a, you know, I don't know if we want to censor ourselves, who gives a whatever. This is my show. You can say whatever you want to. (laughs) Nobody can cancel me. I do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who gives a, you know, if it's going to sell, just get right. up and start acting or get up and or go and start writing. Like who cares about it? It's like maybe this bad piece of art, it could be bad that you're creating is going to lead you to the other side of something else. Right. So going to lead you to what, and it's, and that's what was so great. is like when I was in college, I had the experience, I was constantly working on my craft you're always doing multiple scenes and, and you're, and when you're writing multiple things and you're directing multiple scenes. So it's like, it's that constant practice. Right. And absolutely. so it really just got to a point where I'm like, well, that's what I miss. And like, that's what we want to do. Let's do it. And when I bought, um, when I bought the duplex that I'm living in right now, I own a duplex with my, my sister and her husband live above me and my husband here in East LA. Wow. <laughs> and, uh yeah it's really fun and when we first when we first looking at this place and I saw the front yard and I saw our backyard and we have these kind of two balconies and kind of like the smoked like a lot of not like a lot of land but like a good chunk of land in the back I was like we could put on shows here there's no there's nothing that's telling us that we can't and the first production of her theater company was set on a front porch and we did it on my front porch in my front yard and had 40 50 people packed for opening night and it was the coolest thing ever and that's incredible yeah it was so awesome so but I think as far as you were talking about specific work I I don't really think that I've had things come to me like well I should create art for women or I should create something that's important and then try to go create it. I think that I just get the ideas or the things come to me. And I think because of who I am and the experiences that I've had, 
naturally I want to tell stories from the female perspective. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the male perspective. I love, like, I, I love all sorts of art. Like I will, I, I just went to go see, uh, the gentleman that's in theaters, right. The yeah. new guy, Richie film, right. Very masculine, total masculine perspective. Like the whole thing, the way that it's set up, but I loved it. I never could write something like that. You know, so there's nothing there for me. Like, though like they shouldn't exist or be in the, it's like no that's great it's just we see so much of that and not there's just not enough balance in terms of uh gender equality with the stories that are out there and not just gender equality but sexual orientation and diversity yeah. among race and religion we're just not seeing the breadth and depth of what actually exists in our culture in the united states you know we're a melting pot and so that's why I think I'm so passionate about it because, you know, I look at when I was a little girl and, you know, Steven Spielberg was one of my biggest idols and that's what had me know that I also wanted to direct, but it, there, there was no female director that I could look to and say, Oh my gosh, I can do it too. Right. There, there was just nothing out there for me to see. And even now, sadly, I'm, I probably could name two to three female directors that are probably prominently known in the film industry. And even then, if they're not, they're not well known at the level of Spielberg and Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino. They're just not. And if we're going to have people actually be represented of where it's like little girls and little boys, whatever, you know, race you are, whatever sexual orientation you are, be able to look to, the media, which is so prominent out there and see something like, Oh wow. I, I can be that. Cause look, I see it right there. It's possible for me. Yep. So I just think it's so important. And, um, so yeah, I don't really, it didn't really come to me like, Oh, I have to do work for women. It's just when I look back, it's all the work that I've wanted to do has been from a female perspective. And I just write female protagonists. Cause I think that's, that's just the world I know. That's, that's why it's so important to, you know, so yeah, thank you. I want to ask, what's the best advice you've been given? Oh my gosh. I know. I don't That's ask easy questions here. Questions. <laughs> what's the best advice I've been given? Um, hmm. Hmm. I keep thinking of all these ones, but I'm like, no, I don't know if that's it. Okay, so just give me a second. Let me just let me just see if I can hear it. So, like from a specific person? <laughs> Not necessarily. Life. I mean, was something that you've learned that has turned into advice that you would pass on, if you will. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm sorry. I don't want to make have there be too much silence, but I really am like looking. I can edit it out and post, I've, so you take all the silence you need. Okay, okay. Because um, I've been given a lot of advice, a lot of really not good advice, and a lot of really good advice. Ooh, um, let's hear that one. What what piece of not good advice have you been given that you were like, "Thank you, person. That was horrible." 
Oh, I've, I've been told many, many a times that, you know, I have to focus on one thing. And if I don't focus on one thing, then I won't be good at anything. And, oh, I love that one. You know, That's my favorite. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Bye-bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I think I just thought of it. So this, uh, this didn't really specifically come for like a specific person. Um, but it was definitely something that I got from participating in programs at landmark for a while. Um, and what it is, is, you know, knowing makes no difference is Mm. something that like has really stuck with me. And the, the whole essence behind that is, you know, the, the programs that I participated in there were all about, discovering something for yourself yeah. and when you actually discover something for yourself it you know people can tell you all day every day oh well you just gotta you just gotta commit you just gotta do it or you just gotta not care what people think like or you just gotta like you know insert any sort of generic advice you could possibly ever think of Mm. and and people do and I definitely used to be the same way think that knowledge equals something yeah. like not, I mean, knowledge is great. It, it enables us to do a lot of things, but if like, it doesn't matter that I know how to lose weight and I, and I know how to save money. It's the knowing's not going to make any difference. Right. Like it's the actual discovery of, of that in my life. And, it, yeah. and the thing that I think why I shared with you about having me when I participated and what a profound difference it made in my life is it actually altered the way that I participate in life, mm-hmm. which I think is what's so awesome. So it doesn't matter. It like, I feel like before when I used to like read books or listen to audiobooks, so I was like, Oh wow. Like really great insight. Oh, that's really inspiring. But then it would just fade into the background. It would make no difference. Versus the way that I listen to things now and participate is I'm actually listening for and looking at how does this apply to my life on the court? How does this apply to me? Right. And then when I look from that place, I actually discover things for myself where I don't, where it actually makes lasting change. I don't forget things. So it's kind of like the, the knowing is like the booby prize. So I always like to try to catch myself saying things like, oh, I already know that. It's like, okay, now the moment I say I know and I like know something for sure, it's like I've stopped. I've shut down like the opportunity for me to discover anything. Right. I'm arrogant enough to think that I actually know something. So that's, that's definitely the, that's the advice right there. I love that. So <laughs> what is the best advice you can give to those starting out in the industry? Hmm. <laughs> I, win. I told you. I, like, <laughs> yeah, you, you. Li- I mean, I like it. I like <laughs> that you don't ask me what my favorite color is. Oh no, that comes later. Don't easy. worry. There's a whole rapid okay, fire section. Cool. Don't worry. <laughs> Not we'll that it there. matters. That yeah. <laughs> um, the best advice I could give to people starting out in the industry. Um, I think the best advice I could give is to. I don't want to say take every opportunity that that comes your way, um, but I do think being a yes to opportunities is something that has you get experience, and then you never know where it's going to lead you, and you never know who you're going to meet. Mm. I mean, I think it makes a really big difference 
to uh, say yes to opportunities that are in the realm of where you want to work. So, you know, a lot of people are probably going to offer you things, but it doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything. (laughs) But I think um, being a yes to things and, you know, consistently creating and putting yourself out there is a really big one. Mm. And I think doing as much self-development work that you can possibly do and like as much as you can check in with yourself, whether it's you getting a therapist, whether it's you journaling, whether it's you doing like an online course, an in-person course, having a group of people that you can talk through your fears and talk through all the things that come up for you and that, you know, things that you're dealing with. I think the more that we do that as human beings, the clearer that we get about what we want. And when you're really clear about what you want and what you want to create in your life and what you want to cause, it's really easy to navigate through the world because as opportunities come up, you're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Not it. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Not it. Like you, you'll just be able to really be clear of, well, I'm not willing to work for free or I'm not willing to work for this much or I'm not willing to work where I don't feel appreciated. And if you're, if you're really clear about your bottom lines and what for you, what for you that is, then you can let go of projects or you can say yes to projects and, and really get out of situations in enough time. That sounds really dramatic, but I can just see back on myself when I first started out. Uh, there was times where I was really consistent with saying yes to things and then I would get really discouraged and go into being a victim and, and not continuously going for it. But if I had been consistently looking at myself, I don't know if I would have done that. And if I had been really clear about what I was going for in any given moment, then I don't think I would have wasted any time or had a lot of those kind of you know dips. I think I think they're necessary, but that's the biggest thing that I see that, um, I hope that was clear. No, absolutely. I, I, love that. <laughs> I think it's, it's also a, you know, what to do and then how to get yourself out of doing things that you don't want to do or don't feel inspired by. I like that. Mm-hmm. What inspires you to keep yeah. educating and performing and sharing your craft? Hmm. What inspires me? That's such a great question. Um, I think it's life. Mm. <laughs> it's not kind of corny. But I think as human beings and people, if we're really present to the world and what's happening, and it could be something as simple as the wind blowing through the trees or the breath that we're taking, I think it's really easy to actually be inspired by everything and to keep going. And I think what inspires me is when I've always heard so many different things and read different things about well, what would you do if, if you had all the money in the world, what would you still do for free if you didn't have to worry about making money? And mm. for me, that has all, like, it's so clear to me that I would keep being an artist. And it's so clear to me that I would keep um, looking for opportunities to, share transformation with people and to make a difference in people's lives. That if I had all the money in the world and I had all of that covered, I would still keep looking for those opportunities and creating those opportunities for myself. So I think um, in terms of what keeps me going and what inspires me to keep going, there's, there's something there that's just 
this love for life and this love for creating and sharing with other people and just how fulfilling it is to get to experience that um, that has me keep going. That's deep. I wasn't ready for that one. That was deep. <laughs> I feel spoken to, like fully 100% spoken to, like well done. That was great. What is the hardest <laughs> lesson you've learned about this industry? This is actually, I feel like this might be paradoxical, what I'm going to say. The hardest lesson that I've learned about this industry is that there that there are no rules. Mm. And it's really, I think that's really hard, kind of a hard pill to swallow because, man, like, when you start off, you hear so many things. You know, people say all these things and create all these stories and limitations on everything. They're like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's impossible to make it without an agent or it's this or you have to have a website or you have to be really active in social media or insert whatever that you've heard. And you've probably heard a million things depending on whatever field that you're in. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I've, I've had so many occasions in my career where things that so many people have told me were the truth and there was agreement about them. Many people agreed that they were true. Um, I have evidence counter to the fact. So it's, everyone's just speaking from their own personal experience. And if somebody had some sort of experience where they were burned or they were rejected or something, some sort of bad negative experience happened to them, they're going to make a decision about how the industry is. And then they're going to share it with other people like it's the truth. If they're not aware enough to know, oh, wait, maybe this isn't the truth. Maybe this thing just happened to me. And now I'm sharing with everyone like it's the truth. So um, that's probably the, the biggest, the hardest lesson. Or I don't remember exactly how you said it, but the hardest lesson I've had to learn is, yeah, that there are, that there are no rules. And really trusting myself and my own intuition um, for actions and things that I want to take and not taking what other people say completely like it is. It is the truth. <laughs> it's set in stone what anyone tells me. I love that, though. Oh, I'm obsessed with your answers. Sorry, I have so much energy. <laughs> Sorry, I had to just say it. I just want to keep you in my pocket anytime anyone asks me anything. <laughs> you can just tell me, I'm obsessed. Oh, that spoke to me. It'll be your, it's it's great. true, though. <laughs> so then here's the other question. What is the, what is the common mistake that you see in our young people today in this industry? I would say it's funny because it's like I'm like I feel like such an old timer. I'm only 31 years old, but I'm like, <laughs> what are common mistakes for these youngsters? Um, Listen, I, mean, I feel I the same way though. Know. I'm with you. Sometimes yeah, I'm like, um, I'm not that old, but why are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> um, common mistakes. So there's a couple of them, and I'm not saying this is how young people are. This is just in my experience from working. I, you know, I tutor and I, I've worked with youth for the past eight years mm-hmm. in various different mentoring and uh, teaching capacities. So um, I think that they're the generation below me. So whatever the generation that's not millennials, but the one that's right before millennials. I can't sometimes remember what it is, but I, I totally know what it is. Yeah. Um, sometimes I get a sense of from like students and uh, that I've worked with in, in that generation that they have this sense of entitlement of expecting things to be given to them or be easy. Like there's not a lot of like perseverance 
And I'm not saying that's the truth in terms of uh, like all, everyone in that generation is like that, but you know, definitely in a lot, a lot of the students that I've tutored, you know, all I've had students where the moment a problem is confusing or hard, they're like done. They've given up. They like lean back and they're like, and it's, and obviously that's just how they are with me and what, whatever session that we're in. But that that's them everywhere. That's how they're going to be with life about everything. So, and I think a huge, I don't think this is just, you know, that generation. I also think it's how that generation is raised. So I think there's a lot of, this isn't just my, you know, occurring is a lot of like really hip parents out there that want to be more friends and they want to be parents and they might make mm. things, you know, really easy for their kids or try to like shelter them from any sort of discomfort or any sort of pain. And then it literally conditions an entire generation to when they get out of the real world and they realize, Oh wow. Like I'm not getting instant gratification. Oh wow. This is like difficult. There's no sort of, perseverance to keep going there's no motivation to like feel how something can be hard but have you ever experienced when something's hard and it it feels good that it's hard like yes. it's kind of like you're sweating but you're like oh this is good and and i'm not even saying that everything has to be hard but you know there's there's going to be times where you take actions and they don't produce the results that you want them to produce and if you get bummed out about that too easily you you will not make it very far in life in general, <laughs> let alone in this industry where, you know, there's no clear path for anyone. Uh, literally, you've come for the lives of everybody in the best way possible, and I'm into it. That was wonderful. It, there's a <laughs> sense of having to work hard for something and receiving it as opposed to it being given to you. And maybe mm-hmm. that's me being 90 million years old and feeling like I'm looking through... Uh, you know, my, what are those, the, oh God, what are they called? The one glass um, monocle. I'm looking through my monocle at these youngsters of like, you guys don't know what it's like. But in theory, <laughs> there's something to be said about when you earn something as opposed to it just being handed to you. Mm-hmm. I will stand by that to the yeah. day I die. Yeah, and I think it's funny. It's like, there's like this, for me, there's like a patience, right? It's not necessarily that I'm saying it has to be hard for for you to get what you want, but you're probably going to have to take multiple actions or try different avenues. Now, that doesn't have to be hard if, if you don't let it be hard, if that makes any sense, you know? There's just been times where, you know, like you might have to audition multiple times to get the role, but it doesn't have to be this big drama about how hard it is. And, um, when you said the earn, like that you earned it, I think that there, there is an element of process and, and journey and really working on your craft that I think when, when people have a really empowering context around it and have it like, I'm mastering something, I'm never going to have arrived anywhere. Like, there's, I can always get better as a writer. I can always get better as an actor, director. You know, I can always raise the level of excellence at where I'm operating. I can always find, you know, subtle nuances to that. There can be this real exciting curiosity that you create around that journey for yourself. So it's not about, like, oh, well, how's the quickest 
way possible that I can get this done or the quickest way that I can arrive because it's not about that. Mm. So that kind of that patience and that curiosity and really kind of like swimming and playing in the process and the unknown really, I think is what encompasses the whole reason why live this life as an artist. Like, yeah, of course it's extraordinary when we finish the product or we finish something that we've been working on. But if you're miserable while you're doing it and you're not enjoying the actual process of creating it, then why are you doing it? So that also is like another level of it, I think. Yes. Oh God. Literally. I, I mean like you to follow me around and just echo what I say because we're saying the same thing, but my kids no longer want to listen to me. So when someone else said something, <laughs> this happened to me today. I was coaching a lesson and this, one of my students came to me and I was like, Oh, oh my God, me, I had do you co- tell to- me about your, I, I tell me about coaching. Like, did you coach youth? So I, I do. Have yeah. The they're in my, they're in like the teenagers. And so, you know, I say what mm-hmm. I say and I'm telling them to like, you know, dig deeper and do the acting exercises and do the work essentially. And they're like, whatever, I don't want to do the work. This is too hard. I know what I want, blah, blah, blah. So then they just did a, a coaching with, um, like, a master class with a Broadway professional. And uh, they called me after, and they were so excited. And they were like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. And it's like, well, what did you learn? And it was silent. Mm-hmm. I said, hello? And they're like, well, I'm going to tell you, but I don't want you to, I don't want you to be mean. Okay. They're like, well, they said, you know, in order to succeed, you have to do the work. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. A little louder for the people in the back. What did you say? (laughs) And they were like, in order to succeed, you have to do the work. And I was like, that's, that's funny. I think three days ago, I someone said that to you, and you did not want to hear it. And they were like, listen, I get it. I understand. You know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. I'm stubborn. It's like, those are the only things yeah. I needed to hear. Well, mostly I really wanted you to say you were right, but I'll take all of that instead. That's fine. No, it's great because that's, that's part of the process, right? Like you can tell people really great advice till the end of time, but until they really look at their own life and discover it for themselves, it's not going to make a difference. And, you know, if anything, any, the people who are listening to this podcast, that's one of the reasons, that's how I listen when I listen to podcasts or if I'm listening to an audiobook. I'm always looking from like, like, what it like to discover something about how I'm operating in life mm-hmm. and look at it from my world versus it's so easy to listen to it and be like, aha, uh-huh, aha, uh-huh, that's, oh, that's really great. Like, oh, what a great quote. But it's like, if you're not looking from like, where am I doing that? Like, like, where can I relate to this and listening for, for the gold in your own life? It's really not going to make a difference. So I really, that's really great what you're speaking to because well, everyone should listen that way. I love that you say that too, because I really, <laughs> I really wanted this podcast to be that. I wanted people to be able yeah. to listen to someone, uh, listen to someone give advice to them that their teachers have already said or that they haven't said really. And to be able to take that, and it's not necessarily about promoting a book and promoting a show and promoting a project, but everybody has had a journey and everybody has had difficulties getting where they are. Everybody has grown through their struggles, especially the Broadway people that have Tonys and Emmys and Grammys and da 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 
they've all come from somewhere. And so to be able to make that accessible to kids and adults, rather, that they feel like these, I asked a question the other day to someone, um, and I said, what's a common misconception about who you are? And they're like, that's a great question, because everybody thinks they know what I do and what I am and how I work, and all because of rumors someone has put out there in the world what I'm like, and I'm not really like that at all. I actually am very sensitive. So I thought that was really cool for them to like put that out there because we all feel like we know and we get really brave behind a computer or behind a Mm -hmm. phone. And then when it's time to put your money where your mouth is and speak your truth in front of people, everybody, nobody does that. And I'm, I, I mean, my friends will tell you if I'm going to tweet about it, if I'm going to Facebook about it, I'm going to say it to your face because yeah. Why not? It's already out there. No, that's well great. No, and it's so great. And it's so, it's so rare. And I remember reading this part of the artist's way that talks about anger and jealousy and whatever it was. It's, it's so easy to point your finger at someone else in the industry and be like, oh, how come she's getting those roles? She's not talented at all. Like, oh, that was the most awful movie ever. I could make a better movie than that. And the whole point of the passage in the book was, well, yeah, but are you, you know, it's like, it's so easy to throw stones and it's, it's, I don't know. It's something that I've really taken to heart recently where even people that like, man, I have such a point of view of like, why is this person famous? What is this person providing for the world? And it's so easy for me to say, and it's like, yeah, but what are you doing? If you're Mm -hmm. not going to sit there and say something nice, or uplifting, then shut up, Carly. Like, stop. You know, like, like, why even waste my thoughts and my breath on bringing someone else down and having a point of view that they're not a very good director or they're not a very good actress? It's like, yeah, well, do you ever feature film in theaters right now? It's like, great. Just put your, like, it's just one more excuse for people to put their focus and attention on other people and how they're doing and distract themselves from their own development and their own career and their own work and it's totally justified and people do it all the time gossip is it's prevalent in around the world you know but it's so interesting really damaging i was i agree with that i was watching the um sondheim concert last on sunday oh so amazing oh it was incredible and watching i had to actually turn them off i was watching the live uh, live comments as they were coming in. I had it on my TV. And I realized I was finding myself just responding to people being, like, so annoyed. Because everybody has an opinion on these stars that, like, uh, personally, if anybody saw it, and spoiler alert, if you didn't, um, Laura Benanti saying, take me to the world, sitting next to her jacuzzi tub on the floor. Now, number one, not really common to do videos like that in your bathroom, but like, do you, you sounded amazing. The acoustics were great. Also, you sang a Sondheim song sitting down in your bathroom next to your jacuzzi tub. Good on you, girl. I don't like friends. All of you that are live tweeting at home are not a part of this event. Yeah. What have you contributed to this or to something of this grand nature or to Sondheim's career? Or has Sondheim mm-hmm. requested that you sing at his event like this? No. You're talking about <laughs> this person's in their bathroom. They shouldn't be. This person can't sing. This person isn't that good. But you're at home. I mean, granted, we're yeah. all at home. Are it's, you it's on this whatever, live but... feed broadcasting right. for thousands of people around the world, putting like, yourself at risk? 
nope. we're all at home and I understand that, but like, even if we weren't at home and this was happening at the Hollywood Bowl or at a New York City theater or wherever it would happen, would you be there? Not as a ticket holder. Would you be there as a performer? Would you be there as someone who sends Stephen Sondheim greetings? Mm-hmm. No, you, you might not be. And that's okay. But I don't, I don't understand why you feel the need to have these opinions. Like, they may not be the best singer. That may not be the best choice. But who is it? Who are you to decide that for them? Yeah. Why are you wasting your breath? <laughs> it's just the difference between, you know, being an observer and being someone who's in the stands in your life. Yeah. versus being a player on the field. And that's, that's the difference. And it's very, very different. It's very easy to say, like, well, why did they do that? And, you know, watching from the stands. But when you're on the court in your life, in the thick of performing or putting yourself out there or creating, it's just a very different experience. And, you know, that's what I want to focus on. It's humbling. Not so, not, yeah. It's, it's very humbling because it, you know, it... It makes you think, I'm very grateful to have been in the room, no pun intended, but in the room where it happens in certain situations, I got to attend the Jerry Herman <laughs> Memorial Service, and I I didn't want to perform, I didn't want to speak, I didn't want to do anything, I was so busy just having all of the legendary craziness wash over me, listening mm-hmm. to Leslie Uggams sing I Am What I Am, and, you know, just all these people, Christian Chenoweth, Bernadette Peters, all these people that you as as a theater musical theater person watch grow up watching grow up uh to be in the room like that i i couldn't imagine myself tweeting oh my god this person shouldn't be here this person's voice or like whatever um, <laughs> and it's funny because it's live theater things go wrong and i i won't out the person um that this happened to but in the middle of one of the i think more famous songs of jerry herman this actress was singing and you could tell that she, she she went up on her lyrics but like kept going but you know how you've seen those people where like you know that they went up and you're just trying to figure out how they're going to get out of it you've been in that situation where like mm-hmm. i see you sir you don't know where you are in this song but I am here to see how you get out of it. And boy, did she ever. But it was one of those moments of like, it's live theater and I can totally see people like, oh my gosh, she's this person, this person, this person, and she has no more lyrics. Dude, the most famous of famous people have forgotten their lyrics and kudos to them that they're still doing it at how old is James Earl Jones? 95 years old, 92, whatever. And he's still doing theater. <laughs> Angela Lansbury still doing theater at literal 90 years old. How? I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. So then the next question is, what would you ask of our high school educators and our college educators to get people ready for the next level? Oh my gosh, I have these epic questions. (laughs) Um, hmm. A few things. Um, I would ask them to examine them, their, themselves and their own awareness because I've definitely seen, sadly, high school as well as college educate, educators who they themselves have given up on their dreams or are bitter in some way. And I've 
seen certain students be and their projects be criticized at a level that they shouldn't be criticized at instead of really nurturing and encouraging that student, like for the fact that they made anything, you know, like from a really, really young age, it's so easy to have to take the tiniest piece of criticism and like let that destroy a dream. And so really what's there for me about educators is if you can to get that their influence over the younger generation's lives are so it's so important it's so important and if they're not careful and aware of how they you know offer advice and how they offer and I'm not even saying that they can't ever give feedback but it's just they got to be careful in how they do it when people are developing themselves as young artists. Cause man, you know, one thing is said and that person could stop acting for the rest of their lives, you know, like really, like I've met people like that. Um, so there's that, like really having like a really safe nurturing environment and really like examining themselves so that they know that where they're coming from is really gentle and really supportive. Um, and they're not, you know, comparing these students' work to that of people who have been doing it for years and who are masters. And it's like, you just can't. It's just not at the same level. And in terms of having, there's something else about having people level up. Um, I think as being able to facilitate discussions and teach in a way where students are able to discuss for themselves things I think is the next level of like blowing the roof off of education like really having them get that if the student hasn't isn't discovering it for themselves it's not going to make one damn bit of difference mm. so if, if if teachers and educators can be facile with being able to ask the right questions facilitate conversations where students are actually looking at their own lives and they're not talking about things from a hypothetical way. And that would really also have our education, I think, be really authentic and be really vulnerable and be in a way that it usually isn't, where it can be so textbook. It can be so, like, did you take the notes and did you write the paper correctly? And it's like, well, that's great. But it's, if, if they're not getting down to it with the students of, what their context is and what they're actually doing with in their life and where they're coming from so that that student can really discover for themselves through the doing and the applying it in their own life, what is being taught, that's what's going to have it be like a whole nother level. You literally are just oh. a, f- a walking masterclass. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> okay, one hundred. You are too. You are too kind. What I'm gonna do is you I'm gonna are, edit all of these sentences together, and you can just have them on your phone for if anybody ever doubts you. Just press play, and you're literally gonna hear. You are a walking masterclass. This is incredible. You are. Inc- I love like, it. I mean, yeah, give me the. <laughs> Give me the raw audio stuff. You can do whatever you want with my <laughs> podcast, but I like, I create, 
Create these little ringtones or self affirmations of myself talking that just like pop up. Oh my god, do it! Oh my god, that's so brilliant! Oh, super cheesy. That's hilarious. Uh, My last like crazy big question is: um, you get to sit in an audition, sure, sure. Be it be it theater, (laughs) be it film, whatever it may be. You get to sit in an auditions, and so what do you find to be one of the common mistakes in auditions or uh, things that people should know to do a little bit better? Hmm. Common mistakes. Um, well, well, having integrity, people showing up on time and actually having done the work to be prepared. You know, every everybody's got nerves, but it's like, it's one of those things where I've never not hired an actor if I've seen them go up on their line or if I can see that they have nerves. Like, as long as I can see that they've done the work and they keep going. So, that's a huge element of it. And I think one of the common mistakes in terms of auditions is just not taking a moment to like take a breath and get present and connect with the people in the room. Like, hello, these are real people. They're there and saying hello to you. And they've been sitting in a room for hours and taking a moment for yourself to get connected to the moment before, like what happened right before this monologue for you what did you create like it might not be exactly what happened right before in the play because you created something else for yourself in the character i think people feel the need to rush because they're nervous and they want to get it over and done with but it's like you already have the people's attention Mm. and you might as well take a moment take a breath find your moment before find your character and I've never gotten annoyed from someone taking a breath and taking a beat before they start. I would rather them do that than like rush and start and, and clearly not be ready for it. So it's like, whatever you got to do, like I always find taking a breath for myself as an actor has me get grounded and be like, okay, I have my three minutes. Well, I'm going to give you what I got. So taking a breath always helps me. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely revel love in that. it. You know, revel in it. You you have people for three minutes. You might as well just revel in it. You know, the three minutes are yours. Might as well take it. Yeah, totally. Okay, now I have some silly questions for you. Are you ready? It's all sorts of. Oh my gosh, fire. I'm so ready. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the first question: What's your favorite color? <laughs> I love orange. I literally, if you were here in my bedroom with me right now, you would see it everywhere. I love orange. It's And it's funny because I have no hair and people often think because I'm wearing, I wear really hippy dippy clothes that are very flowy and I'm often wearing orange. I can't tell you how many times people thought, have thought I was Buddhist or have bowed to me. And people, hilarious. you know, I talk about transformation a lot. So it's funny too. Like people think I'm like this, like guru or something. Um, but I love so orange. Funny. I love, I love, I love rustic earth tones, like brick mm. and brown and things that you find in nature. But I just, I, I'm obsessed with orange. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite candy? <laughs> Dark chocolate. Like. That like 90% cacao dark chocolate. Like the dark chocolate that most people are like, this is so bitter and I can't even do it. Well, that that's good kind of for dark you chocolate. though too. Mm. Like it's healthy so, for you. It's so an aphrodisiac. Not that. 
well played. Well played. I see you. But there's just something about it. You just only need like a little bit and then you can just like keep it in your mouth and like it like lasts. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, favorite... I like going inside the actor's studio no, and I you're James Lipton and he's gotten to the fun questions. Well, I love It's funny you say that because that's what I grew up watching. Like that's why I've always wanted to do a show like this and hopefully at some point I will, you know, be able to have a platform, a TV platform or a YouTube platform like that where I can do this because I love doing it. So if you, any friends that oh, want to come totally on the show, should. let me know. Especially now during quarantine. I mean, hey. And if you know any Why not? producers, start and, a YouTube thing. God, I'm, I'm very thinking about it. If you also know any producers in California that want to produce a show, I am here and somewhat <laughs> a little less Sounds attractive good. than Tenzel, but I'm close. Anyways, what's your favorite <laughs> TV show? You can't ask a writer that. Um, but I did because it's my show. <laughs> oh my gosh, because I can do what I want. Uh, <laughs> comedy or drama? Uh, dramedy. No, I'm kidding. That's so rude. Comedy. <laughs> um, currently, it's the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So I'm obsessed good. with that show. I'm I'm in season three right now. I think we're a few episodes in. We're watching it with the fam, but we're all That's here together brilliant. as a little commune. And um, I also it's just it's so witty, and I love it's like so clearly written by a woman. Not that I like things better if they're written by women, but like the female perspectives told in that show and how they talk about women and the arts and mm. comedy. And I also love that time period, like the, the costumes. like whenever I see any show like that. So like, not only does it stimulate me intellectually because the writing is so good visually, I'm so stimulated from watching that show. So that's, that's right now. That's, that's my, one of my, um, that's, that's my favorite. I love that. Uh, favorite. Oh, how about drama? Drama. Drama. Currently, yeah. or like I know it's like just so much. Um. Well, this this was my favorite when it was on, and I feel like maybe I'll lose credibility by saying this by some of the people listening. There's so many mixed feelings about how this show ended. I'm currently rewatching Lost, ABC's Lost, with my husband because he's never seen it, and um, it's it's. There's so many. I just love mystery, and I traveled a lot. So there was something about like being on that island, and I loved all the character development they did in that show. Um, that's not currently on the air, but in terms of what I most recently watched that was drama, uh, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix is brilliant. Like the writing is mm. brilliant, and I don't typically like show- shows that have like horror or like scary stuff because I'm a wimp. I'm like the biggest wimp. But it's so well done, the character development in that show. Like, it's, you, you just can't stop. You don't care that you get scared. Like, you just keep going. I love that. How about <laughs> your, uh, oh gosh, go-to musical genre? Go-to musical genre? Oh, my gosh. Um, it depends on the mood that I'm in. Sometimes I'm like, Give me some R and B. Sometimes I'm like, I need to listen to musical theater. Sometimes I want to listen to jazz. Sometimes I'm like, give me some Spice Girls. I really just depends. <laughs> I'm so funny. I'm just like a dork. I feel like you find listen, so many Spice like- Girls is where it goes. Like sometimes you just need that beat and that aggressive sound. 
sound. I'm with you. Yeah. I really love, uh, like, uh, I really love folk music and folk rock. But I, yes. I love, I just, I can't limit it to, like, one genre. I really just, sometimes I'm just like, no, I'm over this. Like, I don't want to listen to pop right now. You know, but sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, give me some gospel music. It just, certain music, music is so visceral. And it's, I, like, I love putting on different types of music to, heighten my creativity to stimulate myself to like get myself in different zones it's just like so awesome i love music i love that i absolutely love that i mean come on how about uh a a little uh if you could be any other occupation what would it be hmm it's funny because i I feel like i'm cheating because i'm several different occupations that's like because i couldn't make this decision is why i took on multiple things (laughs) I'm seeing on the triple, the triple threat podcast. Um, let me think about this for a second. She has questions like this in the artist way, where she talks about past lives. <laughs> um, oh, I'll just share a few with you, and these yeah. actually might be things that I'll do at at some point. I always thought it would be really extraordinary, and I and I have considered going back to school to get my master's in theater. Okay, and. I just, I love, I would, I think it would be so awesome to be a professor, a professor at a university teaching theater. I love or that. Or film. I think you'd be a great teacher. Yeah. I'm just putting that out there. Maybe Thank you. in your future. From I one teacher like. to another. <laughs> <laughs> he, I am no professor, that is for sure, but I love that. Um, Let's see. What is your guilty pleasure snack? Guilty pleasure snack. Mm-hmm. Nah, I love cheeses, and they girl. literally are like crack. I cannot have one. Like, if someone brings a box to my house, that box is going to be gone. So, I literally have say. five boxes on hand at all times. Why you ask? Because one for every day of the week. Have you tried the like extra crispy burnt yes. ones that they came out yes. with? Yes, and they're they're brilliant. the best. They're the devil because I eat them every day, all day. Like, yeah. it's horrible. It's horrible. How about your guilty pleasure trash TV show, like a reality TV show? Hmm. I feel like I used to have, used to do that when I actually had cable. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I'm not trying to, like, be, like, I don't really think I have one. I mean... I can, there's definitely shows that like, let's put it this way, that I watch without my husband because I know he'll never watch them with me. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I, I got like super addicted to like 13 Reasons Why. I think I watched that whole season and I like, while I was watching, I was like, this is like kind of really cheesy, but like kind of really good. And I like couldn't stop. Um, But I didn't keep going with it. There's, there's certain things like for me, friends, and I don't think that's trashy by any means. I think friends is brilliant, but there's like go to like, easy to digest like fluff kind of shows mm-hmm. those are the shows like friends will be something like if i'm watching tv and i just want to like have like been something for like 20 minutes i'm Absolutely. like oh I, that's that's my home it's like background noise show. no shade i mean i i love it and watch it all the time but it's definitely background noise of like i'm super busy but i need to have something in the background and occasionally i pay attention yeah and then i realize well, I, I mean when i table yeah <laughs> I'm like, Wait. When I cable, okay. I used to watch like Survivor and all that stuff when that yes. stuff first started. I got like addicted to the alliances, but now it's like I don't. 
I'm with you on that one. It's so like, anyways, we could go on for that forever. Uh, how about <laughs> your favorite coast, East Coast or West Coast? Oh, that's a difficult question. I think it just—I don't know. I think it depends on my mood. I mean, I cannot deny that I'm a Southern California girl through and through in terms of like I'm so wimpy with weather. Like I travel a lot, and I can be fine with it. But there's something about being so close to the ocean, and I think it's just because of where I was raised that. Mm. And I do love warm weather, but I also don't like being too hot. So I do feel like I go into this little like Goldilocks mode sometimes. Yeah. It's too hot. I now that. it's too cold. <laughs> but um, I do, I do love like urban city. So I don't know. I feel like you can get a lot of different, uh, that, a lot of different types in Los Angeles. But I love the hustle and bustle of New York. You just can't. And I love like the, you know, the travel so easily on the subway. It makes me think of Europe and I love Europe. I just love how easy things are to get around to in other countries. And, and New York makes me think of that. I love that. So anyway, I kind of like didn't answer your question. I kind of just talked about what I loved about from each place. No, it's okay. <laughs> you do you. I'm here for you. I see that. Uh, what is your favorite holiday? Favorite holiday? Yes. Hmm. I mean, I love New Year's. I think there's something just symbolic about, like, the New Year. And I think because my husband and I got married, like, a couple days before the New Year, it's it, that whole time period, like, Christmas, like, winter holidays, like, I just, all I want to do is, like, snuggle up and, like, cook and bake and, like, binge things with my family and play board games. Like, I love that time period because of, like, Christmas and New Year's. I love that. Oh, it's like, it's one of the best times, I think, to be honest. It's, you don't have yeah, anywhere to be. There's some, it's like, there's something magical. You're not going yeah. back to work, so might as well just enjoy it. And then uh, my last mm-hmm. question, is your favorite vacation spot? What's my favorite vacation spot? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't really have like a vacation spot, but I can tell you some of my favorite places that I've traveled. Um, I've been to uh, 17 different countries. I traveled oh a lot. I've traveled a lot. I'm very, uh, very, very grateful. And I haven't, I don't travel a lot currently. I traveled a lot. I uh, did a lot of city abroad when I was in college. But mm-hmm. um, in terms of my favorite places, Florence, Italy is one of my favorite places in the world. Like Italy just in general is extraordinary. I love Ireland. I love the people I love beer. I feel like now I'm like sounding like a stereotypical joke about Ireland, but I, I the theater there is extraordinary. Um, and you know, not to be biased because I am Croatian and my dad's from Croatia, but Croatia is just a gem. Like it's just a gem in Europe, and it's getting to be more popular. A lot of tourists, you know, go there on um, cruises. But the water and just. I think there's something about being there that makes me feel really connected to my father, which Absolutely. I think is probably why I love it so much. Like it feels like I'm getting back to my roots, which I guess I am. That's what they say, right? That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. So Carly, this has been a podcast in two parts that we're putting into one and we might release in two parts. Who knows? It's my show. I can do whatever the hell I want to, but 
<laughs> this has been she so much so fun. Much, we have to release it in two parts. <laughs> I know. Well, I was just looking at like the playback, and it's it's even more than we talked about the first time, which I love. So I might even release it in two parts. There's a few episodes that I have that are coming out in two parts. So you might have one of the first two part episodes. I'm excited. Oh my gosh! Let me break the mold. Do it. Tell me where I can find you. How I can find you. Where our guests can find you. What's tell me everything. Yeah, um, in terms of social media, like where you can find me online. Yes, please. Yeah, um, I'm the only Carly Panza out there. C A R L Y P A N D Z A. So I'm pretty much uh, Instagram. I'm at iCarlyPanza. Twitter. I'm at CarlyPanza. You can find my Facebook page. LinkedIn. You can find me, and my website's just www.carlypanza.com. So. Carly Panza, you are wonderful, and I am so grateful that we've had the opportunity to speak and we've had the opportunity to learn all about you. You're a gem, and I'm so appreciative that you have been on this two-part episode of uh, my show. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. It's been such an honor. Thank Thank you you so much for reaching out to me, and I can't wait to hear it. Thank you. I was so excited. And if you're ever out east, please let me know. I'd love to see you. And if I'm ever in Los Angeles, which hopefully will happen after all this COVID nonsense, uh, I will let you know 